0: So have you ever been yelled at? Sometimes we get yelled at for, for not doing something, right? Have you ever been yelled at for doing too much? In 1945, the cast of a play was having their first rehearsal. One of the young actresses was off to the side, and she was just moving around wildly. In fact, so wildly that undoubtedly this was not what she was supposed to do because the producer of the play... Martin Gable turned to her and shouted, Don't just do something, stand there. It is believed that is perhaps the first time that sentence was ever uttered. But since that time, it has been uttered over and over and over again by politicians, by journalists, by authors, by actors, and all kinds of other people. Don't just do something, stand there. In 1954, a nonprofit group supposedly took that as their motto you want to know what the group was it was the relaxation club of america that's right don't just do something stand there or sit there or lay there just just relax and don't do anything of course this phrase is kind of a knockoff of another phrase that we know don't just stand there do something it's that phrase that has some push to it, some, some press to it. It's, it's saying, don't just stand around. You need, to, you need to do something. You need to move to some action. So is the reworded version similar in the sense, is it pressing us to do nothing? Is it pressing us to inaction? Is it really trying to say, hey, you know what, you just need to relax and be lazy. In a 1985 interview with Newsweek magazine, actor Clint Eastwood said this My old drama coach used to say, Don't just do something, stand there. Gary Cooper wasn't afraid to do nothing. What does that mean? (laughs) Gary Cooper wasn't afraid to do nothing. Well, the reason that Gary Cooper and Clint Eastwood are famous names is because of their award-winning performances in westerns and military films and law enforcement films. Now, when we hear the words western and and military and law enforcement, we don't really think relaxation and laziness, right? No, those are the kind of movies that are put under the category of, of action films. So what does Eastwood mean? What does he mean that this leading man, Gary Cooper, knew how to do nothing? He was afraid, he was not afraid to do nothing. Well, what it means is something along these lines. Sometimes the most powerful thing you can do is just stand there. Sometimes the most powerful thing you can do is is just sit there. To just be silent. To just wait. Stand there. Say nothing and wait. I mean, if we're honest, do those really sound like powerful things? Are those the, the actions that we connect with power? I mean, can you imagine an athletic director of a major college football program standing up at a press conference one day and saying, You know what? We're looking for a coach who'll just stand there, say nothing, and wait. Can you imagine a a person who's going to run for President of the United States announcing his candidacy with this, I am going to stand there, I'm going to say nothing, and I'm going to wait. Now those don't sound like things that make us think about power. So what is powerful about just standing there? Well, hopefully we'll find out this morning. Look with me at Titus chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. The Apostle Paul writes... But as for you, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. I was third in line this week in a bathroom in a restaurant to wash my hands. Man, it was a busy sink, I'm telling you. So there was one guy at the sink washing, and there's another guy, and then I'm third. Well, the first guy was a heavy labor guy. I mean, he was really dirty. It was taking him a long time to get cleaned up. And the second guy had some kind of uniform on. I don't know if it was, I uh, couldn't see the company or the logo, but it looked like the kind of uniform you might see a, a commercial or industrial delivery driver wear. And he was standing there, and after a minute or so, he said, man, he said, you know you got a real job when you got to clean your hands like that. But I know he was just being kind and creating conversation, which incidentally, if you're in a public restroom, you're not there to be kind and create conversation. Walk in and walk out. Do what you got to do and move on. I'm not there to talk to you. But I know he was just kind of be kind and create some conversation. But you know, I thought his statement was, was kind of foolish, right? Why? Well, somewhere this week, one of the faithful members of our armed forces sat in front of a computer screen all day long monitoring information. They didn't have to get up on their break and go wash past their elbows, but they have a real job, and that real job had a real impact on people's lives this week. Somewhere this week, there was a teacher that said goodbye to her students for the summer. That teacher didn't have to go down to the workroom after she said goodbye and pull out a a big jug of that orange Gojo industrial hand cleaner and start rubbing and scrubbing her elbows all the way up to her arms. She has a real job, and that real job has a real impact on people's lives. Somewhere this week, there was a white-haired lady sitting in the lobby of a hospital, and a frantic person came running in trying to find a family member who had been rushed there by ambulance. When that white-haired lady got off work that day, she didn't have to clock out and go to the bathroom and, and clean her arms up past her elbows, but she has a real job that has a real impact on people's lives. You see, every day in our community, there are people who have to wash past their elbows when they go to lunch that are helpful to our community. And every day, there are people who do not have to ever wash past their elbows at lunch who are very helpful to our community. In a similar way, I I hear a sentence like this almost every week or read it. You know you're a real Christian if you blank. And sometimes the blank is filled with very good things. You know you're a real Christian if you pray. You know you're a real Christian if you witness. You know you're a real Christian if you, if you visit and you volunteer and you donate. All good things. But you know a sentence I never, ever hear is you know you're a real Christian if you have sound doctrine. <laughs> I never hear that anywhere. What is sound doctrine? I came across a great definition, a really simple definition by a guy named Bobby Jameson. It goes like this. Sound doctrine is a summary of the Bible's teaching that is both faithful to the Bible and useful for life. Sound doctrine is a summary of the Bible's teaching that is both faithful to the Bible and useful for life. You know why I rarely hear anybody say, you know, you're a real Christian if you have sound doctrine? It's because sound doctrine doesn't sound like the kind of thing that makes you have to wash past your elbows. Sound doctrine doesn't sound like you're really doing anything. Some people would say, oh, sound doctrine, that's that's the thing the pastor did when he went to seminary that one time. Other people say, sound doctrine, look, I got all the sound doctrine I need in one verse of Scripture. John 3.16, that's all I need. It's a good verse, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only, his one and only son, that whoever would believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's a great verse. That's that's a defining verse of Christianity. But if that's your only verse for sound doctrine, you, you have a problem. And here's the problem. This is what Jesus said. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. So Jesus says one verse is not going to be enough. He says you need to teach and know all the things that I instructed you, all of my commandments. Now somebody might say, "Well, hang on a second there, man, that's that's a lot of stuff." I mean, there's there's more than thirty thousand verses in the Bible. If we just taught one verse of Scripture a day, it would take more than eighty years to make our way through the Bible. We don't have time for that, right? Man, we got work, we got school, I mean, we got things to do. We don't have all of that kind of time. So what do we do? Our definition, again, of sound doctrine. Sound doctrine is a summary of the Bible's teaching that is both faithful to the Bible and useful for life. A summary is an accurate overview of something. So to have sound doctrine means that we have an accurate summary of the gospel, the story about Jesus Christ, and we have it swirling around in our minds all the time. All the time. What does that look like? Well, it looks kind of like this. We need to spend as much time as we can in the commandments of Jesus. And Jesus said in, in all the commandments. Well, what are all the commandments? Well, Jesus fulfilled all the promises of the Old Testament, every single one of them. And through his birth and his life and his death and his resurrection and his ascension, he has created all the promises of the New Testament, so to speak. And so we could say that all the commandments of Jesus are all of the Bible. But we can't lug around a 34-pound family Bible with us all the time, right? So what are we supposed to do? Well, we need to read and we need to remember. There's absolutely no substitute for reading the Bible. You can't can't find a substitute for it. Read a little bit when you can and then make plans to read more later. You can read a real Bible, holding one in your hand, or you can get you a Bible app. And you know what, the Bible apps, most of them even have someone who will read the Bible to you if you will use them that way. And if you struggle with any one of those, We'll see our own Stephen Jenkins over at Lifeway. He can help you find a good Bible or any kind of resources you need to listen and read the Bible. Like a little plug, how I did that, right? Just real, real easy there. Some people say, man, I just don't have time to read the Bible. Man, you really don't want me to go there. <laughs> I mean, I don't even want to go there for me, okay? But let's just go there for a minute. Let's just do some simple math, all right? Just some really simple math. Let's just look over this past week. This past week, have you listened to more than an hour of classics? Rock and roll, heavy metal, rap, polka, whatever it is that you listen to. Have you listened to more than an hour of that this week? I have a friend of mine, best business owner I know. He shames me with how much Bible and preaching he listens to every week in his car. All right, thinking back over this past week. Did you spend more than one hour this week watching soap operas or reality shows or cartoons or sports or weather or cooking or home improvement or news programs on TV? More, more than an hour, you know, just cumulative. Did you binge watch a season this week while we have been gone? All right, how about this one? Did you spend more than one hour this week with the newspaper? more than one hour doing the the crossword or the sudoku or sudoku or sadaka th- what I don't know how to say that word whatever that is you know the thing with the numbers or reading the obituaries you know who you are my parents <laughs> I know everyone who dies in South Carolina because my parents read the obituaries of the state and so I find out and it's very useful information Have you spent more than an hour this week reading the newspaper? All right, now let's take all of those things and let's compare them to this question. Not devotional books, but have you spent more than an hour this week reading the Bible? How about over the last month? Over the last month, have you read at least one fiction book? Maybe more than one fiction book. And compare that to how many books of the Bible? Not even the whole Bible, just a book of the Bible. What about this past week? Have you spent more than 30 minutes looking at videos on YouTube? Compared to have you spent more than 30 minutes listening to a sermon or or watching a sermon on YouTube? There's there's a lot of sermons you can watch on YouTube. Are you ready to stop? Because I'm ready to stop. (laughs) See, the real issue with reading the Bible is never time. It's not. It's an issue of the heart. It's an issue of the desire. And if we're going to move forward and follow Jesus, we we have to be people of the book. We have to read God's Word. And we really need to remember what we read. Now, some might say, Oh, man, I can't memorize things. That's the worst. It's hard. I I just can't memorize stuff like that. Maybe but probably not and here's why we remember what we love and we remember what we do some people can remember sports stats some people can remember family stories and family history some people can remember military history or US history some people can remember recipes and gardening tips and math formulas some people can remember movie lines some people can actually remember where they left their keys See, we all have the ability to remember. We have the ability to memorize. It's just sometimes it is set on other things. Now, granted, I'll be the first to say you can't remember 30,000 Bible verses every day. But here's what you can do. You could remember three Bible verses from your reading in the morning. You see, we, we really do remember the things that we love, and we remember the things that we do. So... If we're not remembering the commandments of Jesus, maybe it's because we're not loving the commandments of Jesus. Maybe it's because we're not doing the commandments of Jesus. Paul's writing to his friend Titus. He's trying to help him function as a Christian in a culture and a society that's full of sin and immorality. You know, the kind of stuff that we don't have anymore in our culture and our society. And so what's his advice for him? Listen to it again. But as for you, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. That phrase right there, but as for you. You see, there were some people around Titus that were not speaking that which was fitting for sound doctrine. In other words, they were making a big deal out of a lot of good things, but good things that were not Jesus. They weren't making a big deal out of Jesus. And so Paul tells Titus, don't be that way. You be somebody who's always making a big deal out of Jesus. And he says here, speaking that way. The language speaking here is not just saying words, it's living out words. Next week, we're going to zoom in on what it means to live out sound doctrine. But this morning, I want us just to, to think for a moment on that phrase, but as for you, I want us to zoom in on what that means. This may sound obvious, but I can't eat bacon unless I have bacon. You know? And when I have bacon, I eat bacon. But I can't eat it if I don't have it. Likewise, I can't live out sound doctrine if I do not have sound doctrine. So how do I get sound doctrine? Well, first, you have to be saved. You have to be a Christian. Someone who's not a Christian does not care about sound doctrine. They don't care about all the commandments of Jesus, and they definitely don't care about doing all the commandments of Jesus. Someone who's not a Christian functions like this. In almost every situation in life, their first response, the first thought of their mind is this, what's in it for me? That's how a non-Christian thinks most of the time. But a Christian has a completely different approach to life. A Christian thinks differently. A Christian says, hey, what's in it for Jesus? What is it about this situation that might cause people to be more curious about Jesus when they see my words and see my actions? Or maybe even put it another way is what I'm about to do, is what I'm about to say, is how I'm living out. Does it fit with sound doctrine? Does it fit with sound doctrine? You see, the picture that Paul's giving Titus is this, that over time, as a believer, what you do is more and more of your life is wrapped up in reading God's truth and remembering God's truth and listening to God's truth and learning God's truth and loving God's truth. Everything comes back to the truth of God. But why is that such a big deal? Why is it such a big deal that a Christian have sound doctrine? But we're going to let God answer that question for himself. Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 16. Thus says the Lord, Stand by the ways and see and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is. It is always an extremely helpful thing for a pastor when he gets to say, Thus says the Lord takes all the pressure off of me. So what does the Lord say? Well, the Lord says, don't just do something, stand there. He says, stand and, and look and ask. Just think through those things. Stand, look, ask. None of those require us scrubbing past our elbows. It's a completely different category of work, a completely different category of action. So what are we supposed to stand and look and ask for? It says they are the ancient paths. The ancient path. No, I don't want nothing ancient. I don't want nothing old, man. I want new and improved. I want cool and hip. I don't want ancient. That's sometimes what we say of those who are younger. But just to be clear and to make sure we don't get distracted, for those who are older, the ancient paths are not 1950s America. It's a completely different ancient path that's being spoken of here. And what is that ancient path? Well, God's talking to Jeremiah. So for Jeremiah and for the people who lived when Jeremiah lived, the ancient path would have been the path of people like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, people like Moses and David Samuel and Solomon and others. In other words, the ancient paths would lead you to one clear truth. This is how Moses said that clear truth. Deuteronomy 4, 39. Know therefore today and take it to your heart that the Lord, He is God in heaven above and on the earth below. There is no other. That is the ancient path. That is the only path. The Lord God is the only God. The God of Israel is the one true God. There is no other. Jesus of Nazareth was killed and crucified on a Roman cross. Three days later, he came back from the dead. And after he had come back from the dead, he was walking on a road from Jerusalem to Emmaus. And he came upon two of his disciples and he began to talk to them. And eventually he wanted to encourage them with why the gospel is the greatest news. And you know how he encouraged them? This is what Jesus said, Luke 24, 27. The beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. Jesus took them back to the ancient paths. He took them back to the, the very foundational truth about God, and that's this, that God created the gospel, that God owns the gospel, and that God freely gives the gospel. Jesus could have said a lot of things to them, But notice, he said he began with Moses and the prophets. He began with the ancient paths because he knew the ancient paths is what would take them to the truth about who God is. John MacArthur writes this. What is our primary message to this world about God? Are we trying to tell the world that God is omnipotent? Well, it's true. Are we trying to get across to this world that God is omniscient? that God is omnipresent, that God is immutable? Are we trying to get across to this world that God is the creator and the sustainer of the universe, that God is sovereign, that God is eternal? Yes, all of that is true. But what we're really trying to get the world to understand is that God is a savior. Isn't that it? We're trying to get them to understand that God is there to save them. And how does God save? Well, he saves through Jesus Christ. Guess what? We just did sound doctrine. (laughs) See, see that's, that's a summary of the Bible. Again, listen to our definition. Sound doctrine is a summary of the Bible's teaching that is both faithful to the Bible and useful for life. So the summary of the Bible would be this. There is only one God, and he is holy, holy, holy. He is perfect. And one day, He will perfectly carry out perfect justice. And He is perfect love. He is pure love. And out of His rich mercy, He has made a way for people to be rescued if they will believe and repent and follow Jesus. Sound doctrine. Sound doctrine is not first and foremost about me and my family, and my friends. It's not first and foremost about my education, or my country, or my favorite team. It's not about my church, or my pastor. It's not about my favorite kind of pie. Sound doctrine is first and foremost about the gospel. There is one God, and only one God, and that God has proven and shown His love by sending His only Son, to die for our sin, to rescue us from our sin, and to give us life that lasts forever. Some of you, though, in your minds are still thinking, eh, I don't know, sound doctrine. It sounds like cute religious words, but I don't need sound doctrine more than I need food. And I don't need sound doctrine more than I need money. And I don't need sound doctrine more than I need a new smartphone. So we think this way. Sound doctrine just still, nah, we're not sold on it. Look at the next part of what God said to Jeremiah. Jeremiah 6.16. Thus says the Lord, stand by the ways and see and ask for the ancient path, where the good way is and walk in it. And you will find rest for your souls listen you will not find rest for your souls in your family you know why because nobody in your family is holy 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 you will not find rest for your soul in your education in your friends in your favorite team in your church or in your pastor you know why because none of those are perfect. You will not find rest for your soul in your country and in your president and in your politicians and in your government. You know why? Because they cannot perfectly carry out perfect justice. You will not find rest for your soul in your favorite kind of pie or a new smartphone. You know why? because those things are not full of perfect love and rich in mercy. The only way you can find rest for your soul is on the ancient path because only the ancient path takes you to the truth of God. Only the ancient path takes you on the only way that is truly forever good. J.C. Ryle says this about this rest that we have. Rest is this, is the possession which makes men truly rich. It lasts, it wears, it endures, it lightens the solitary home. It smooths down the dying pillow. It goes with men when they are placed in their coffins. It abides with them when they are laid in their graves. When friends can no longer help us and money is no longer of use, when doctors can no longer relieve our pain and nurses can no longer minister to our wants, when sense begins to fail and eye and ear can no longer do their duty, then, even then, the rest which Christ gives in the old paths will be shed abroad in the heart of the believer. The words rich and poor will change their meaning entirely one day. He is the only rich man who has come to Christ by faith, and from Christ has received rest. I want you to honestly ask your heart two questions this morning. Are you rich? Have you truly received the rest that can only come from Christ? One more thought from Raul. Death and judgment and eternity are not fancies, but they are stern realities. Make time to think about them. Stand still and look them in the face. You will be obliged one day to make time to die, whether you are prepared or not. The last enemy, when he knocks at your door, will brook no delay and will not wait for a convenient season. He must be admitted and you will have to go. Happy is he who when the roar of business and politics is dying away on his ear and the unseen world is looming large can say i know whom i have believed i have often stood in commune with him by faith and now i go to see as i have been seen that's sound doctrine the ability At the moment of death, or the ability in the middle of our life to say, I know who I have believed. Do you have sound doctrine? Do you have this rest? It only comes from the ancient path. It only comes from the gospel. It only comes from Jesus. Let's pray.